1: Celebrate undying faith, we're gathered here like drifted wrecks for a late September wedding. This episode of The Marinade with Jason
0: Earl is brought to you by SJC Venues, operators of some of the finest venues in all of Florida, the Ponte Vedra Concert Hall and the St. Augustine Amphitheater. January 24th, They Might Be Giants takes the stage at the gorgeous Ponte Vedra Concert Hall and that same intimate venue will be graced by Yonder Mountain String Band on January 28th. And then don't miss John Moreland, the legendary singer-songwriter, perhaps one of the best singer-songwriters in the game today with his picking and his playing and his writing on the front porch stage at the St. Augustine Amphitheater, one of our all-time favorite venues in Florida. Every time I go to St. Augustine, what I like to do is camp at adjacent anastasia state park and you can just walk over and the park's right there on the beach it's absolutely incredible check out those three shows thank you so much to sjc venues
1: for sponsoring our show. so long ago i don't suppose you even know you got to me brought all this down on top of me Got to me. We danced between the snowflakes, falling, tripping on the cobblestones and the trolley tracks. We had it all in. Christmas break.
0: smells of stale cigarettes and beer. James McMurtry sits on a couch in the corner stringing a guitar. He barely looks up when I enter. I say hello and he grunts something resembling a greeting in response. The room feels solemn. I take out my recording equipment. Microphones, stands for said microphones, computer. He finishes restringing the guitar. I try to make small talk, to no avail. We just kind of sit there in silence, McMurtry periodically checking his phone and fiddling with the retractable Leatherman. I wouldn't say I'm nervous, but I feel more intimidated than I expected. McMurtry is a legend in my eyes. And even though I do this kind of thing all the time, he spins a story in a way I pray is part of my practice 30 or 40 years from now. The tiny table is scattered with pieces of guitar strings. There's a PBR Tallboy and an empty Lagunitas IPA bottle. A full bottle of Maker's Mark sits as a centerpiece, and I move aside a loaf of Wonder Bread to make room for my computer. Welcome to the marinade with Jason Earl. I talked with one of my favorite songwriters of all time recently ahead of his show in Oklahoma City. I'm based in Florida, but James McMurtry was opening for the great Jason Isbell on the first leg of Isbell's tour, and they were not scheduled to come to Florida. So since I had a few days off, I figured Oklahoma was unlikely to come calling my name anytime soon. And I was thrilled when James McMurtry said yes to the show. The morning of the interview, I made maybe a miscalculation. I went to visit the Memorial and Museum on the site of the Oklahoma-Murrah Federal Building bombing. My Airbnb host warned me to bring tissues. I was glad to have a handkerchief. When you walk into the memorial, you kind of enter through a gate of sorts. It says 903, the time after the bombing when the healing began. There's a corresponding gate on the far side that reads 901, the moment before the explosion. In between is a flat black marble slab with a thin layer of water over it. The weather was really cold at that time, and pieces of ice pocked the water like the hide of a Holstein cow. The adjacent museum is beautifully done, and it leaves this indelible mark on me. I, I wish I had someone to hug, someone to share the experience with. Almost like attending a funeral, but in a major way, a mass funeral, if you will. I take away a lot from the experience, some of which I'm still unpacking even as I record this, but the thing I could not get out of my head and still struggle with is that authorities jumped to the conclusion that this was Islamic terrorism, that the 1994 Oklahoma City Federal Building bombing was the work of a Palestinian American, or a guy with a name like Muhammad. And that chapter seems to have been whitewashed. A quick Google search of initial arrests in Oklahoma City bombing turns up nothing other than a few footnotes. Tim McVeigh, the man behind the bombings, was arrested and booked in a small county jail elsewhere in Oklahoma. A woman involved in the booking of him is interviewed in a documentary that's played at the museum. She says she was surprised such a clean-cut man was the suspect. He looked like a normal guy. Now, Oklahoma's a nice place. People are polite and welcoming, but like many places, there is a clear racial divide. And more than once, I heard something like, you wouldn't want to go down this road 10 years ago by which clearly people meant you wouldn't want to go down this road 10 years ago. There were black people everywhere. And it's with this background that I head into the interview with James McMurtry. McMurtry's a pretty liberal guy, and he says as much during the interview, and I guess I'm a pretty liberal guy in a lot of ways too, as anyone who listens to this show regularly or drinks beer with me can attest. But still, my head's in a weird place as I walk into this conversation, and I don't know what to expect from McMurtry other than to say I know he's really interested in characters. Thus, I suppose what I really expected was for him to open up about the process by which those characters come to him. And I guess I expected such a process to naturally lead to a discussion about race and class and, you know, the things that we usually talk about on the marinade. This episode went a little bit of a different direction, and the thing about James McMurtry's process is that it seems to be inimitable. He seems to be the only one who's able to do what he does. At least, he's the only one of the types of people that I've interviewed who seem to be able to do what he does the way he does. So this was a tough interview. And I learned a lot about myself and my expectations. I'm so grateful to James McMurtry for his time and attention. He went on to play an outstanding set in support of Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. The night was really special, and I will always appreciate this document of it. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary James McMurtry.
1: He's tired and cold and broke, and he don't know what to make of me, standing here in my three-piece suit, standing here just like I am.
2: That's like a pretty good wave for him. Yeah, I think we're all good. Thanks, man. Sure.
0: Thanks so much for taking time with us. You bet. Um, so, I mean, the marinade is a, you know, it's a, converse- a conversation about creativity, but we ended up talking about all kinds of stuff, uh, politics and sex and booze and whatever so wherever you want to go we'll go um but uh i I heard you talk about i wanted to get into like the uh the idea of the way you write and i heard you talk about how how sort of these characters evolve and they come from different places um
2: and they come from the lines i just i hear a line and i think who said that and then i try to envision the character and from there i can maybe work backwards and get the story if it falls into a verse-chorus structure, then I can get a song out of it.
0: How often, how often do you just end up with stuff lying around that you? Oh, all the
2: time. I mean, I've got. That's what I work from—a scrap pile mostly. You know, I'll leaf back through it. So <coughs> I get stuck. You know, I'll leave songs on the shelf for years. Uh, there's one on this last record. Uh, you got to me that took like 20 years, taking at it and putting putting it away and coming back to it.
0: That's such a great song, too. Um, where do you put that stuff? Like I you just put it on a computer. You know, oh, really? I,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to have just piles of legal pads, but um, I wish I still had them because I could maybe sell them as an archive or something. But yeah. I, I think they've all gotten a trash bag and <laughs> they're in some landfill <coughs> somewhere. But <laughs> no, I just put it on a cell phone or a computer.
0: I was just writing something yesterday where I was writing, it <coughs> and I I wasn't honest mm. in what I was writing because I had this like weird delusion of grandeur that maybe someday somebody would dig it up and then would judge me based on it, and then I immediately just caught myself and, and thought that was ridiculous and wrote what I was actually thinking. You know, five yeah. seconds later, because yeah. for me it's always like I carry these little moleskins and whatever kind of you know. Whatever kind of, there's something about the tangible part for me. I feel like I don't return to it if it's on a computer, but I'm more likely to return to it if it's in here well, for whatever
2: reason. I did have a lot better luck with the iPhone 3 Notes app because it looked like a legal pad. It was yellow with a sort of black, it looked kind of like handwriting, but not quite. And it did something to the brain that the 100-watt you know, you know, iridescent bulb on the legal pad paper with the felt-tip black pen... Used to do, but I'm just too lazy to mess with pens and paper nowadays. <laughs> and it's easier just to jot it down on the phone whenever it comes to me. Oh, it's funny. See, it doesn't feel easier to me. It feels like a chore, and I can never find.
0: You know, it's like I, I'm typing on it. Or do you record?
2: No, I just I, mean, I get an idea, and I just put it down, like we used to do it on bar napkins, yeah. and then you lose the napkin. So yeah. it's a lot easier to. Well, keep the track setting of the, the
0: bar napkin <laughs> is probably the issue. There. <laughs> mm, not necessarily, but maybe not the medium. <laughs> Um, You told a story on uh, Joe Pug's podcast about the uh, early on in your career at the Kerrville Folk Festival, Mm -hmm. and you were talking about how the guy Clark had some sort of under-the-tree kind of thing or something. Where
2: Yeah, they did this... um, Well, that was a regular thing at Kerrville. They they called it Ballad Tree, and they'd get one of their artists to go out there and sort of host it, and it'd be like an open mic for songwriters, except there wasn't any PA or any mic or anything. Just people bunch of people gathered around under a big oak and uh, yeah I, I think i sang a song that eventually became texaco uh at the ballad tree that guy clark was hosting
0: did you get to know guy much at all or spend much time with him uh,
2: a little bit not really my son actually wrote with him but i never did uh, yeah one time I, yeah i went to my son was living in nashville for a while and i flew in there to see him and i dropped him off at guy's cl- house to and they were going to co-write, and mostly I wanted the car. <laughs> I wanted to explore the new Nashville, which is a lot cooler than than the Nashville that I knew in the '80s. <laughs> uh, what the? I don't think they got a song out of that session.
0: How about? well wow, So much comes out of that, then, because I feel like there's this theme of of cars, obviously, with you and driving with you.
2: Well, that's just how you get around a town, you know. I don't like to be on foot, really. Uh, but you know, the main thing in Nashville is. You know, my son lived in East Nashville. and In the 80s, we never went over there. It hadn't gotten gentrified. You know, Now there's some pretty cool bars over there, and that's, that's where the hipster kids go and hang out and yeah. you know, kick their songs around. So
0: I'm staying at a place over here uh, called the Plaza District, and my yeah. Uber driver dropped me off and was kind of like, are you sure you're staying over here? Are you <laughs> sure that's such a good idea? Yeah. And I was staying at Airbnb. And uh, I brought that up to my host, and she was like, well, yeah, 10 years ago now. Yeah. But, um, it's so interesting how all these neighborhoods continue to gentrify, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But it is interesting how
2: it keeps happening. Mm, it's a bad thing if you're in the crack business. <laughs> um, I don't know, yeah, but my regular gig, Continental Club, you know, 20 years ago, the waitresses all left at once, you know, with the doorman. Nobody left alone. It was, it was a pretty dangerous stretch of the street.
0: Was that a time when you were kicking around there?
2: In Austin, yeah, I was there. Uh, I wasn't playing down there or anything, but, uh, yeah, I was there since 89. So I saw all that change, and, you know, some of it's good. The food's gotten better. The wine selection's better. But but the cost of living is pretty steep. Yeah. And it's getting worse. You know, musicians, they're all having to move out to Lockhart and Bastrop, you know, places they can still afford to buy a house. Yeah. It's tough, man.
0: Um, I don't know some of the, some some towns like uh, Jacksonville, Florida is one of my favorite places. There's a lot of uh, gentrification, so to speak, going on, but it still remained relatively uh, affordable. You know, it hasn't gotten to that place, like that kind of Austin place. You know, where it's just like too you know, much. It
2: seems like the whole state of California has moved to Austin, and it's all high rise. And so they you know they've they've high rise the downtown and put in shops on the ground floor and that kind of thing. It's, that's a kind of a cool development plan. Uh, I guess maybe it's better than keep you know, sprawling outward forever and ever. Uh, but yeah, you know, it does make it kind of hard for normal people. Well, does that change?
0: I mean, the characters that you meet then—is that are those characters evolving that much since your your hometown's changing that much?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's really my hometown. It's where I live. Okay. Um, but I don't, I don't really, I don't have any characters that I've drawn from there that I can remember. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it's where I live. It, Austin, it's a good place to tour out of because it's between the coast, so you can work the west coast in three and a half, four weeks and get home, take a week off, go to the east coast, do the same thing, do it in short hops, and then you still have a life. Uh, if you tried to do that from either coast, it would be hard because you know it just wouldn't route. You, you really, if you live on one of the coasts, you got to stay out for eight weeks or so to, to do it economically. If, you, if you're touring in a van like, like we are, that's a lot, man.
0: I mean, I, I don't do that. You know, my, my day job is uh, within walking distance of my house.
2: That's good. You know, Hang on to it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't plan on going anywhere. It's a totally different thing, though. I mean, even coming out here like this is, you know, this is a thing that I also do. Um, yeah. You know, this podcast and music journalism, that kind of thing. But rarely do I travel as far as from Florida to Oklahoma to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting thinking about trying to put my, myself in your headspace and in the headspace of musicians who travel all the time, given that, like, I'm in, in a strange bed and now I'm getting yeah, out. strange.
2: Know? You know, hotel rooms are fine. You know, I mean, we're, we've been at it long enough that, you know, we can price land a decent room now.
0: When you sit, can you sit down to write, though, in a hotel room?
2: I don't really sit down to write anywhere. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, what does that mean? So, like, when you're writing a song? I just, you know, I'll get on to it and just keep messing with it, shuffling words around. Yeah, it mostly happens on the phone now. Really? So, more, you don't... It's more organic. Yeah. That's
0: but, great. It seems like no, most of the people I talk to now, they sit down, they got to have a, a space to just sit and write for a while.
2: A lot of them. Well, good ones are that way. A lot of my, I think my son writes that way. He he's one of those that writes every day. Yeah. You know, I try to avoid writing because it's, it's the homework. <laughs> but. Um,
0: so what's the joy part then?
2: Getting to play them. Yeah. You know, it's it's like fashioning new tools to get me through the show.
0: Yeah. Huh. That new single "State of the Union" I listened to a few times, and I love it because one of the things I noticed about listening to your music. I guess I got into uh, got into your music back in uh, St. Mary of the Woods days, mm-hmm. and um, I realized that, like, especially some of the shittier characters, a lot of the things that I'm drawn to are parts of my personality. You mm-hmm. know, some of well, the well, that's that's parts. the
2: key to the popularity of any song. You know, hit songs are songs that that the listener can hear themselves in, and the more people can hear themselves in the song, the bigger bigger your song's going to get. Um, that's why you know we can't make it here kind of rung the bell because a lot of people had lived it already and they're still living it now yeah and so you know that's that's just the nature of it Well, i think with state of the union there's a lot
0: a lot of that same theme obviously
2: um well and there's a lot of people living that too you know you yeah. know, you know if, if you're if you're lefty like me you want to you want to got to figure out how to relate to your right-wing relatives <laughs> well I, it's and this, uh, sort of the country at large really
0: do you have that figured out and do you have any advice <laughs>
2: no because <no. laughs>
0: I feel like that's constant now where I where I find myself
2: well, especially the, the, the problem there's there's a lot of different things at play you know when I was a kid we it was all network tv we had four channels four major tv networks um you know, they were all kind of middle of the road with their newscasts. Everybody listened to Walter Cronkite, left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. You know, we had one voice and a bunch of similar voices that kind of, you know, they gave us a center someplace. And we might not agree with them; we might be right or left or falter, but we listened to them. And you, politics was not an identity. Religion was not really an identity. Gun owner was certainly not an identity. That was just. You know, something we, we either had guns or we didn't, but we weren't identifying ourselves by it. And now we've got a zillion channels. We don't have to listen to an opposing point of view. We can listen and we can turn on whatever political perspective suits us and disregard the rest, as the song said. You know. mm. and so we're not challenged in that way. We're just sort of spoon-fed what we want. And it gets to where, you know, the, the, the particular TV network we listen to becomes part of our identity we're at Fox you know we watch Fox or we watch CNN or whatever you know I guess it's just that that's how we sell things we we, we sell people their identity
0: I find myself so guilty of that of the surrounding myself with like-minded people and Mm. I I don't know I mean because like well, because I mean, there's the the line in the in State of the Union. I didn't write it down, but um, where he said, "I love the way you crafted it." In fact, I th- hopefully, I still have it pulled up on my computer um, because you say, uh, "Yeah." Oh, wait, no, it was before Precious that. Every night. Well, that is the, that's the first two lines. That's great too. Um, the one where you say he holsters his Glock in and a double retention, yeah. and then uh, he don't like the Jews, he don't like the blacks, and he don't trust the news. And I like there because there's those lines there, like the don't trust the news. Okay, you know, like that that person's not a son of a bitch. I don't necessarily agree with him with on, on every front, but he don't like the Jews. Well, he don't like It's just tr- an oblique like reference
2: to, to the term fake news now. The, right. way the Trumpers are using it, um, those words just kind of fell together pretty easily.
0: It's beautiful the way you did it, because I mean, I, there because there are some they're competing ideas there, and is what I'm trying to say is that like. For me, the line, it gets pretty clearly drawn at racism, and, and but there are some things we can disagree about, you know? I mean, I, I certainly don't, don't like the way that, that this president handles basically anything, but especially foreign policy, but we can disagree about it, you know? I don't think we can disagree about white supremacists
2: marching on Charlottesville. <laughs> no, there's never been a good Nazi, I don't think. <laughs> um... Are there characters that uh,
0: you find yourself get lost in any characters?
2: No, because I don't spend enough time with them. It's not like a novelist, you know. My, my father, when he finishes a novel, sometimes he gets real depressed because he misses the characters that he was dealing with every day. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I don't know the characters that well in my songs. I don't need to know them that well. I just know enough enough to fit, you know, get some rhyme and meter going. <coughs>
0: Oh, interesting. So you don't have to know them then to play them necessarily no, because it's more about the song?
2: Yeah. It's more of a snapshot.
0: Are you ever surprised by any of them? Even though you maybe I maybe, maybe already answered Surprise. that. Surprise. Like, does the character ever come up that you kind of feel like, well, I didn't, I didn't <coughs> see that coming or I, didn't, I wouldn't have expected that to come up?
2: No. They're pretty clear cut. Yeah. I mean, they don't always agree with me. Like, you know, the, the narrator in Carlisle's Hall is a commercial fisherman who, you know, doesn't like the government regulating his livelihood, which he probably wouldn't. But I, you know, I personally believe we need to regulate fisheries so we'll still have some fish. Yeah. But I'm not trying to drag my living out of a bay, so. Yeah. I don't know, I don't really have it, but.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah. it's easy in a lot of cases to 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 sort of you know, look at somebody
2: else's but, livelihood. And- but the, the, the underlying problem, you know, what we're running up against in all walks of life is we've got to the point where we, have, we really have to manage the resources of this earth. We can't just exploit them blindly as we have done for eons, you know. No, it's, you know we don't remember a living dodo bird <laughs> that ate them all <laughs> already. But we're going to run out of a lot of other species if we don't, you know, regulate it and try to manage for the future, you know, make some sustainable fisheries, sustainable farming, that sort of thing. And we're not really geared to that. I mean, humans are hardwired for violence and hatred and, you know, overexploitation. Um, that just that's from the caveman times, I guess. But it, it, just because we're hardwired for it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right, and it doesn't mean it's going to continue to work. We've just got so many of us now that we're going to have to basically learn to think around our hard wiring. We're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to rebuild the State Department, get some diplomats back in there, because, yeah, you know, and it's our minds have to evolve faster than our brains can evolve on a cellular level. Yeah, we're really going to have to, you know, teach ourselves. You know, think around that hardwiring that makes you want to kill somebody just because he looks different yeah. <laughs> this is so crazy to me because <laughs> I, I mean i maybe we're hardwired
0: that way i have a hard time believing that i just can't well, get my head around
2: it. well people love to hate and they've always loved to war and there was probably there was a, a, you know there might have been some kind of survival mechanism going on there uh, but I don't think it's necessary anymore I don't think it's valid Yeah. um, because we have the ability to think our way around it Mm -hmm. we don't have to define ourselves by our hatreds you know an Irish Catholic wakes up in the morning and doesn't hate Protestants how's he going to know who he is Mm -hmm. he's going to have to think real hard to figure out who he is at that point
1: yeah Let's come
2: back
0: to that identity, that concept exactly. of identity, <coughs> and maybe that's where
2: some of that. F- but it can be done. We can, we can, we can teach ourselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe that's, some, that's where some of that that fear that um, the average Trump voter has of being disenfranchised or whatever comes from.
2: Well, it's not disenfranchised. No, what, what the what the what the white supremacist fears is not equality of colored people the white supremacist fears retribution yeah because there's something in it that feels real guilty about what we did and yeah. what our ancestors did yeah um they, they don't they won't admit to that but you know, that's what it is you know uh, J- Lyndon Johnson said that after the watch riots and he said you know I don't know why we're so surprised put your foot on a man's throat and hold him down for 300 years and then let him up what do you think he's gonna do Right. he's going to knock your block off well that's what these guys are afraid of yeah is that if they don't keep a firm lock on things they're going to get their blocks knocked off
0: yeah um, kind of to to all of that point we, we were talking about the news that you that, that we watch and the things that we consume what about other things that you consume um, art music what right now what do you got a hold
2: of I don't really have anything. I don't, I don't listen to music much. Um, I read one or two books a year. Uh, listen to a little bit of live music, uh, whatever my son puts out. Listen to, but no, I don't take it in rapidly.
0: Just
2: mm-hmm. uh, kind of go along.
0: What about news?
2: I do read the news a lot. And that's an affliction that's happened with the cell phone where we can't take our eyes off the screen. Mm-hmm. I do I miss newspapers because they're just not, it's not as stressful to read the news in a newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, print media is, is getting worse. You know, you'll you'll, you'll get a, an actual print copy of the New York Times and halfway down the page it'll say click here for... <laughs> for moral on this story, like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> You're just printing stuff off the computer. Yeah. <clears throat> it used to be a classy magazine. I think The Post may be a little better now. The Post has rebounded.
0: It's kind of, it almost, it's It's so easy to not do it that way. I, I'm the same way. I prefer print. I mean, I kind of grew up in, like, that. Uh, that tweener kind of age, mm-hmm. right, where, like, my dad had the paper, I had the paper, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in my 20s. But I had the internet pretty early. So I feel like my generation balances it all right. Um, But we're on the cusp there, you know, and I'm definitely guilty of living in my phone.
2: I always get a print copy of the Times or some paper when I get on an airplane just to irritate whoever's in the middle seat. (laughs) (laughs) Show them what it used to be like,
0: You're out on tour for a little while with you. So you got State of the Union that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, got any record anytime soon?
2: No. I don't think so. Um, yeah, we're just you know, taking every tour we can yeah. because that's, that's really where the money is now. There's no there's no mailbox money. It used to be we we toured to promote record sales, and now it's the other way around. We put the records out so you guys will write about us, so somebody <laughs> will know we're coming to town. It's yeah, like, it's advertising.
0: Does it uh does it does that <coughs> shift the creative process then though I mean do you think about do you consider the set list particularly or do you even have a set list?
2: Well, yeah, I tend to stick with a set list for a while until I get absolutely sick of it because it's it's all about dynamic flow and what works from one song to the next. It's about key changes and groove and that and theme. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to factor that in. So yeah, it's tricky to lay out a set. You know? I haven't done a 45 in a long time uh, we usually we're usually headlines so we do 90 minutes you have to think much differently when you only got a 45 minute opening set well and
0: it's well. interesting too to think about like isabel's audience you know some of them may not know you which is kind of a wild yeah, thought there
2: sure a lot of them don't we used to tour together when we were both in bands you know yeah playing little clubs um but you know, but that's why you open for people is to get in front of their audience that hasn't heard of you, and to try to expand your own. Right. That way.
0: I guess, and that's what I was asking earlier. Is just um, I'm imagining that you would, in crafting that 45-minute set list, you're certainly aware of the fact of that yeah. audience. I would think.
2: That um, will be in a week or two. Uh, or, um,
0: okay. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to the. To the uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with us, James. It's really quite the honor, man. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: To celebrate undying faith, we're gathered here like drifted wrecks. James McMurtry, everybody, thank you so
0: much for listening. Thank you to James for sitting down and taking time with us. What you hear in the background right now is the same song you heard at the beginning of this episode. That's You Got To Me. It's a song that we mentioned during the episode. It's off of James's 2015 release, Complicated Game, which is outstanding. Go find it wherever you can find music. You can also check him out at jamesmcMurtry.com. We are so grateful. James took time to sit down with us. We're so grateful to our sponsor, SJC Venues, and to you, the listener. If you like what we're doing, go give us a rating wherever it is that you consume podcasts. Please go ahead and give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash marinadepodcast. We're on Instagram, marinade underscore podcast, and Twitter at podcast. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you want to hear and see on the show. We really appreciate everything that you do for us. Cheers, y'all.
1: You even know you got to me Brought all this empty down on top of me You got to me Between the snowflakes falling, tripping on the cobblestones and the trolley tracks, we had it all then. Christmas break, your roommate's gone, we stoked the fire and let it burn till the embers glowed in the morning light. Trust in the tangle of skin on skin, I've not known quite that. Didn't know, but we were not to be. But I know a thing or two now. The wedding party's raging, yet how the old and desperate misbehave limo smells like cocaine sweat cheap cologne and aftershave this gotta be one